This is Subversive, a podcast hosted by me, Alex Kashuta, to highlight hidden voices, uncommon perspectives, and our era's true intellectual elite, the anonymous poster. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so on Substack, Patreon, or PayPal. Thank you and enjoy. Today, I'm joined once again by the one and only Aaron McIntyre. Um, Aaron, um, I've known him since he was a, a wee little account um, on Twitter and uh, relatively small as well, I think, on YouTube where he's where he started as, a, as an anonymous video essayist. And now he has reached uh, the ultimate status as a... Um, the shaper thoughts, uh, pretty much relatively mainstream, I think, at least on the right. So, um, welcome, welcome back, Oran. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it, it's been weird. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's it has been you know, a roller coaster, a journey, uh, of incredible evolution, and it's been awesome to watch because uh, I've said this before, but you are probably the you know, the most narratively gifted person on this side of the of the fence. And you've been able to take some pretty um, complex and obscure and definitely unpalatable ideas, wrap them up in, in meme magic and send them out into the wild. And, I, and they have caught on. I mean, you know, I think uh, there's been there's been quite a lot of echoes from, you know, relatively the mainstream about things that you mention in your work, things that you chat about on Twitter. I mean, your Twitter has taken off massively. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been, how long has it been? Maybe a year and a half since you've had this mega growth? Yeah, I, I started the channel about two and a half years ago, I think. But yeah, about about a year and a half ago, uh, things really started to pick up. And I, I did that appearance on TimCast. And I think that kind of snowballed everything. And so uh, it, it's it has been very wild <laughs> to, to see everything kind of go the way uh, it has but uh but but uh yeah it's, it's always surreal when someone like posts memes that i made back like two years ago back onto my own comments and stuff and i just like <laughs> i completely forgot that i made those in their back there it's like oh yeah okay yeah the the civil rights pokemon yeah i completely <laughs> forgot that i made that one yeah. i didn't know you yeah. made that one i yeah. I, I do refer to it myself if, in, in case uh, need be so yeah i mean it's it's great that one and the James Lindsay's eight thousand point plan to destroy the well, civil rights meme. That's yeah, that one beef. is bog beefs. Yeah, that, yeah, that one's not one mine. I can't, well. can't create that one, but that's an excellent one. It's it's a it's a beautiful piece of work. Exactly. I mean, you know, there is something to this stuff. I mean, there is a, a certain power, a certain magic to it. Um, and you know, a lot of people on this side try to to you know be like the top theory cell, never repetitive, and that's not really how ideas actually get disseminated. You know, you kind of want to hammer an idea home because, I mean, there's a limited set. There's obviously many authors and they all kind of have their spin on on this core set of principles that people have been uncovering here on the so-called dissident right and NRX. But, you know, you could probably boil it down to a 10-point plan, which is complicated enough, but it needs to be, it needs to reach the right audience. And I think your approach has been by far the most successful to do that. I mean, there, there are other angles on this, obviously. There's the BAP angle, which is a different, also kind of a different philosophy as well, I think. Uh, similar, but rhymes, but it's not always the same. Um, but yeah, I mean, very few people have been so successful with it. So um, I wonder what your, 
you know, what what have you learned on your on your uh, successful journey from uh, from the bottom to to the top? And um, I also wonder what you've learned about the dynamics within this movement because things have changed like in the last two years, definitely in terms of obviously how popular these ideas have become in, in part thanks to you, but also how, um, I don't know, how the ideas themselves have changed. And I wonder if you could kind of reflect on that, especially um, through the incentives that the platforms that they're shared on, because that's this is something I've been thinking about quite a lot. Like how does the medium influence how these ideas um, evolve? You know, who participates in this? Like kind of, kind of what, what, what have you noticed? What have you seen? Yeah, I mean that's that's a huge thing. Um, that and it it really does. The platform, of course, shapes things wildly. I think that's always difficult for some people to grasp that there has to be different levels to what you're doing, right? Uh, you you can come in there, and I think that complexity is really important. I think that you need complexity. That you need people who understand the theory. That there are people who are talking at that very high level and working through those ideas. And there's, you know, you should not decry that. I think that's essential. But at the same time, I think it's important to understand that at some point you you have to have these things be influential, right? And even if you're not carrying that entire message, the entire level of complexity, you need some kind of lower resolution version of that that's kind of palatable and digestible for certain parts of the mainstream. And so I think the, you know, an aristocrat knows how to talk to the people and to, you know, the the king, right? And, um, you know, I think that people have to be ready to kind of work at different levels with that kind of stuff. And especially this is true with social media, because as many people have noticed, like, you know, your dumbest tweet will be the one that goes the widest, you know, it, it will be the the lowest effort post you make, the the one meme you snap off in a meme generator with everything cut off, you know, that, that uh, is the thing that blows up. It's, you know, you're, you're, I've had complex theory threads go wide, but that happened way after people shared pictures with words on top of them. You know, it's, it's, it's not the other way around. And so it's just being able to mix up your messaging and understand what works, especially on Twitter where, you know, Twitter is not a platform for intense debate or complex discussion. That's not what grows things on Twitter. I mean, if you want to use it that way, that's fine. But just don't expect things to go wide when you do them that way. For the same reason that you wouldn't expect like a well-performed opera to, to do well on ABC primetime you know, television. Like those are just two very different mediums with two very different things that perform well in them. And you just need, I think it's important to not dismiss complexity, but also not dismiss those who are speaking to the mainstream with a message that is similar, but it, but it has to be, again, kind of low resolution for those who are going to be consuming it. There is a, a common critique that shows up uh, for pretty much anyone who achieves any sort of level of, of popularity in the space is that, you know, this, one of the core ideas in the space is that, you know, this is, this is uh, for elites. It's very exclusive. You don't want to be diluting your message and not gatekeeping enough. And, um, you know, this is not for the plebs, obviously this is for the, for the aristocrats. Um, and I, I, I wonder, you know, I, I think there's, there's some validity to this. Obviously you can dilute the message, you know, endlessly and just, you know, turn it into, you know, ridiculous sound bites. And I think 
the internet and these platforms do tend to kind of try to draw you in that direction through through audience capture, through the fact that, you know, if you have an audience now that's, you know, a, let's say, you know, one or two standard deviations above the norm, which usually takes to digest all the series cell type stuff. Um, when you boil it down to simpler and simpler sound bites and ideas, you'll obviously reach a larger audience just by the fact that they're a very large proportion of the of the population. By the way, I think that's what what happened to to the manosphere as well. I think we've we've had like waves and waves of like you know sub midwit sloshing into the space, and it's really corrupted all of it. But anyway, maybe get to that later. Uh, but yeah, I think it's you know there, there's probably a balance to be struck, um, and I think you're probably in a in a in a good space to find that balance because I don't think you've uh, simplified your message in the sense of like okay. You've taken out the, the the spicy bits. I think the spicy bits are pretty much still in there. You've just kind of been been very good at um, at creating a narrative around all of this and kind of even even presenting it in a structured way. So I don't know. That's just my kind of my observation on on, on your work up until this point. Yeah, I'm just not big on transgression for transgression's sake. And and if the truth is difficult, or if some if a concept is difficult for uh, you know, people to accept at a moment, that's fine as long as it's true. But I don't find any particular value in just being the guy who's pushing the envelope. And so if I'm not pushing the envelope enough for some people, that's fine. Like that doesn't bother me. I'm not your guy. That's okay. Uh, but I just think that there are difficult things that we have to have a conversation about that people have to become aware of that the average person needs to acknowledge. But at the same time, I think you need to understand that most people knew these things, like deep down somewhere, like the it's out of the corner of their eye. It's a piece of their lizard brain. It's it's something that they don't talk about at a party or they'd never admit at work because it might get them fired. But it's something that they know. And if you frame these things in a way that just acknowledges the truth of them and the obviousness of them, and I think most importantly, their relationship to to a good understanding in a healthy uh, society, then I think you can move a lot more people on this than than some understand. If you're just diving in there and immediately saying, you know, I just want to be edgy and I'm going to take the hardest line on this and I'm going to be as harsh and aggressive on this. Well, you can do that. And you, know, you might be saying some true things in you know the meantime. But if you just explain to people that, you know, a lot of this stuff is common sense that your grandparents knew and, you know, they, they would have told you if you just asked them about it and didn't, you know, and everyone didn't yell at them when they, when they mentioned the obvious thing, then I think it's a lot easier to kind of say some of those truths. And so I, I think that really it's an approach that can change the acceptability of, of a message. It, it might be more or less the same on certain levels, but simply addressing it as something that is for the benefit of the people you're talking to is common sense, is traditional knowledge, is something that I think is very persuasive as opposed to just coming in and buy, dive bombing people with the edgiest presentation you can. Yeah, I think a, a lot of people, you know, while talking about aristocrats and elites and counter elites and all this stuff, ignore the fact that these elites still do need to have a certain client class with a coherent vision of themselves represented in the people it doesn't all happen in, um, you know, in the ethereal ivory tower within, you know, battles between these people. The real world still matters, and the identity of the group opposing 
the uh, consensus uh, and th- that that essentially a counter elite would represent would have to represent because you know whose elite would they be uh, is still essential and I think you know that's that's where this um, you know putting in the elbow grease to actually propagate these memes and and making this stuff more available to people I think that's where you know it, it becomes really important. Yeah, I think it's really easy, and and this is still a debate that happens all the time. I still disagree with uh, with some of my friends on this, but whether or not everything is completely just a top down power move, completely ideological and stripped of any morality or any kind of interaction, or whether there is more of a somewhat conversational or feedback uh, you know loop that that enters into your political formula, and I think it's important for people to understand that. Well, I well, I'm 100% on board with the idea. You know, I'm not a populist. I do think that elites matter and elites drive opinion, and their leadership is what shapes culture. I think that that has to have some kind of organic reflection in the group that they're attempting to represent. And if it doesn't, you can make it work for a while. You can just go on raw power, but you're certainly not going to garner the kind of support that people are looking for to really change. I think a system like we're looking at now. So I am one of the people who's who's a little more on the, there. there is somewhat of a dialogue between the, the patron and the client rather than just the patron completely constructs the identity and the morality and the reality of everyone who uh, who is a client and therefore they drive every single bit of this situation. There's, um, I think, you know, the, through the construction of the reality of the of the client, I mean, that that has to be, you know, even even if it's one way, it, you know, it involves both parties, you know, mm. you know, people are looking up to these elites and they would have to have, you know, the, the mimetic power to become the elites for this constituency. They don't own them in any other way. So there, it's always a two-way street, even if one party is influencing the other, you know, the, the influence travels between them. So, um, yeah, I think you, you can't really, you know, you can't just have a, a detached uh, elite uh, completely detached, which, like you said, doesn't necessarily mean populism. I guess it doesn't mean populism anyway. Um, but it means that, you know, the the power to influence these people is is important. And it is based in the quality of the memes in the end. And, uh, you know, how how representative these memes and this um, these arguments are for the people um People down there. I mean, this is all studying presumption. We are talking about elites and aristocrats and people like this, uh, which unfortunately, or I don't know, fortunately, are, are inevitable in, in the course of uh, a human existence. So, um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, unfortunately, the, um, yeah, a given in, in our situation. Yeah, there's, there's really no escaping it. And I think everybody kind of in this sphere that we've, we've kind of, uh, made contact with understands that or or you know are, are pretty close to understanding that that's pretty pretty well understood for most people uh the only question like you said is kind of how how much gatekeeping you need to do or how much and and there should be plenty of gatekeeping when it comes to leadership but i do think that there has to be you know some crossover there, there has to be some understanding with the general populace of the kind of ideas you're talking about, the kind of changes you're trying to bring. You have to be able to find a way to communicate the benefits of this to the people who you're trying to influence. And that doesn't mean you need to bring down every single piece of theory from on high, but it does mean you need to 
put in the practice. Like that's that's the thing. It's like this is a skill, and you got to build it. Like we need an army of people who have this skill. Because guess what? The other side does for sure. Like you know, the 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 old joke is the left can't meme, which is why everyone you know is is converting to transgenderism, right? Like the, yeah, the, the, they can meme. They meme just fine. Uh, you know, and so uh, you you really do need to have a group of people especially in kind of our increasingly digital age where whether we like it or not, like the mind control device is going to be the thing. Like people are going to be influenced by cathedral like apparatus, no matter what. And so you've got to get good at this. You need to be able to, to kind of bring that message to the masses. uh, Even if that isn't like overall your view that the masses are the ones that drive, uh, you know, ideology, you still need to understand your ability to translate uh, portions of this and explain again, most importantly, it's benefits. Like how, how are the things you're doing going to, you know, improve the lives of those who you're, you know, delivering that message to that's really going to matter. And it's something you, a skill you got to perfect. And an important argument you made before is the fact that, you know, our grandparents knew about this and they knew about this because it was self-evident in the reality around them and how they interacted with each other and nature. And, you know, they're obviously much more grounded in, in, survival, maybe not, you know, I guess in whatever, like 1950s America, they were a bit more like uh, chill, but let's say maybe uh, great grandparents, um, they knew, you know, they knew what they needed to do to, um, to pass on their heritage, to pass on their language their customs and, and all of this. And they thought it was useful because they knew it was useful because it was self-evident from everything around them. They knew that there were differences between groups of people. They knew that there were differences between men and women. Uh, this all this stuff was undeniable just because it had practical value. Nowadays, I think the left has been able to to meme so successfully because a lot of these ideas are kind of like, you know, they don't really or they're not that relevant in the day-to-day existence of people. They've kind of just been, um, you know, a lot of it has been outsourced to the market or the state, you know, all the all the problems that we needed to solve by cooperating with each other and um acknowledging these realities. And now we're just kind of um maybe in a situation where a lot of these realities might return just because when you drift so far from, from base reality, things start to break. And um, a lot of things are starting to break in terms of, I mean, infrastructure, um, just the, the distance of, of current elites from, from base reality, the way they implement policy, the ideas that they have, you know, like just something like energy policy in Germany. This is absolute madness. It is going to drive that country into the ground. It is based on false science. I mean, essentially their policy is pretty much to, you know, decommission their nuclear plants. Now, especially, there's literally still a war with, with Russia, um, who's their, their main energy, energy supplier. Um, they're repowering all their coal plants, but they're, they're still, still running most suicidal um, renewables policy in, in the world. And now they've ramped it up. So um, this could not happen to a population that was still plugged into any sort of sense of reality and history. But they're, they're doing it. And they're not the only ones. They're just kind of, you know, obviously having lost World War II, they're, they're the, at, the, at the helm of, uh, of whatever insanity is coming from, from the left. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not itching for doomerism here. I'm not expecting some sort of collapse or anything. But I think when things are starting to deteriorate, and people will have to maybe rely on each other, rely on their neighbors, maybe organize locally just to solve problems because the states are, you know, are slowly 
failing in many parts. Um, you know, you have, you know, anarchy in South Africa, anarcho-tyranny in the U.S. You've got pretty much a flavor of that in the U.K. as well. Um, Western Europe, similarly. Romania is pretty much still in the balance because we had like absolutely apocalyptic type governance. And now we're kind of getting better, but who knows what else the European Union is going to want from us. So, um, yeah, I mean, do you see that as a kind of a doomer optimist perspective? Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, G.K. Chesterton said that uh, every high civilization dies by forgetting uh, kind of simple truths. And for some people, that's difficult. Some people are like, man, I can't believe that all of this has happened before. All of this is obvious and it's going to happen again. But for me, it's kind of, I take a different tack on this. I, I think that, you know, we all have a role to play. We are all somewhere in our civilizational cycle. And of course, everyone would like to be in the heroic phases or the, or the you know, the, the, the great phases of luxury and building and, and glory. But, you know, that's not where you are. And there's nothing you can do about that particular part of that. Um, and so the truth is that, you know, a good quarter of human civilization or people or a good quarter of humans who have ever been born have been born into this type of scenario. And so you're just going to be one of those people. And you're in the part of, you know, civilization where people just forget important truths. They just forget really powerful things that have been obvious because they've built enough civilizational infrastructure between them and reality that they can ignore it for a while. And of course, this is a game that you always lose. You can never outrun reality forever. You'll eventually cash that check. You'll eventually pay that price. But you can do it for a long time. And the West is fabulously wealthy. And so they can do it for much longer than probably any other civilization has. But eventually, it'll just kind of happen. I mean, the the bad news is that things might fall apart. The good news is if bad things fall apart, you get the opportunity for good things to be born. And so I think that's really the key to, to stay focused on is, you know, we're in the time of building. We're in the time of preservation. We're in the time, you know, there, there uh, will be chances to be heroic. There will be chances to make uh, important decisions and be an important force in the world. Uh, it won't be that you swoop in and stop probably Western civilization from heading the direction it's heading now. I'm really not sure that that's an option. But it does mean that you can prepare the ground for the next thing. You can be the generation that prepares, that plants those trees so that the next generation can sit under them. And so I, I think it's one of those things that, yeah, it, in some ways it's difficult to watch parts of this tear itself apart. But at the same time, you know, we're also the civilization where, you know, they're uh, mutilating children to fulfill some kind of, you know, demonic religious ritual. So maybe it's not the worst thing that we lose some of the technology to continue that type of behavior or the capacity to continue that behavior. Maybe it's not the worst thing that we can look forward to, you know, the the creation of something that is newer or better. Yeah, I mean that's that's the the, the hopeful angle on this. I I think my my kind of my worry and in a way my hope as well is that there are enough people of the caliber um, to to actually um, go down this route. You know, it's like the idea that you can you know you can have a, a, a virtuous system based on a virtuous populist, but I feel like all the incentives for virtue kind of have been, um, yeah, outcompeted by, by technology. Like virtue is really a muscle that hasn't been practiced in, 
in decades. Like there's entire generations that have had very little um, opportunity to even contemplate what, what a virtuous life might mean uh, because they had no need. I mean, you know, virtue itself served a certain purpose in, in, in previous generations. And now it's just like, you know, it's a, it's a meme, um, you know, a hard meme. Um, so, yeah, I just, um, I wonder what exactly is going to happen. I mean, this, this is also part of the civilizational cycle, you know, the, the weak men part, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, they, uh, they bring troubled times. I do hope that they're not as, uh, as advertised. Yeah, but, you know, the next part of the cycle is the hard times make strong men. And I think that's what we're, we're seeing is, is we're going to be in a situation where uh, humanity is going to be selecting for something different. You know, humanity was selecting for surplus, the creation of surplus, the ability to mass produce and mass consume and generate and we're getting to the end of surplus having value. We're getting to the end of massification having value. Uh, we're getting to the end of the point to where accumulation is the goal. And instead, I think we're going to start selecting for the ability to deny. The ability to deny oneself access to certain things. The ability to deny oneself uh, you know, easy ease of dependence on, on the state or on uh, certain technologies or those kind of things. And so I think the, you know, these, these times are ironically going to be materially abundant, but spiritually hard. And, you know, material abundance now is waning, as we've started to see as well. And so that's really, again, going to select for those who are able to eschew kind of all the methadone that's going to be offered to them, you know, all the things that, that can kind of ease the passing of civilization and are willing to look for kind of new pathways and build new things when no one else wants to do it and no one else thinks it's possible. And so, again, you know, you, you can be blackpilled on it. You can say, ah, I can't believe, you know, that this old thing is passing away, but really should it have continued forever? Is this, is this really what you want your grandkids' grandkids to inherit? Or, you know, do you want to go through this time of trial so that something new and beautiful is there for them when, you know, when the time comes? Yeah, I think I'm I'm both kind of black and white pilled on this, and, and in the long run, obviously I'm I'm white pilled. I can see all these trends kind of you know sorting themselves out. I'm just you know I'm a mom, so I'm thinking about my my son's exact life. You know, I I wish, in a way, I kind of wish him abundance because that's kind of what I've known, and in a very like you know obviously we've we've had tough times as well sometimes, but um you know this is comparative to my grandparents. This is just absurd abundance and absurd you know, freedom and in many ways, like the fact that I can, you know, start an internet-based radio show thing is pretty nuts. Um, and I kind of would like him to have access to that. But at the same time, um, you know, I know that, you know, who knows what might happen in the next, you know, 20, 30 years. And uh, just looking at, you know, the mentality and the trajectory that that politics and um, the global economy seems to take in the absolute lack of accountability on every level, um, the impossibility of accountability in the managerial state. It's just, um, I don't know, that's, that's kind of the bleaker part. You know, that's more of a dark red pill, I think, that, that direction. But yeah, overall, I think if my son manages to, to reproduce and, you know, his children as well, I think by then things would, uh, will, will, will have um, sorted themselves out. Yeah. And, and like I said, I, it's, of course, it's, it's, 
obviously very easy for us to sit on uh, on the internet with nice <laughs> equipment, you know, and, and and computers and technology, and talk about hard times, right? Like there 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 are real hard times, and uh, you know, no one wishes that on themselves, or especially hopefully on their children. But again, you you kind of have to ask yourself, like, how long are we going to do peace in our time? You know, like, how long are we going to do uh, that that embrace of that which has obviously in many ways destroyed us? Of course, I don't think that, you know, any of this is completely going away. I think that I don't think we're going to a dark age. You know, we will continue to have technology. We will continue to be connected in very different ways. We will still have a digital era. And so much of this is not that, you know, all of these quote unquote luxuries are going away, but it's going to be how we adjust and how those who overcome kind of our current uh, malaise, like how they adjust and again, deny themselves certain aspects of this, how they learn to adapt to this technology, adapt to this world, overcome its challenges and build something that still reaches to kind of the good and true, beautiful and true without pretending that you're just going to go full Luddite there. Like, sorry, I don't really think the Butlerian Jihad is coming. I don't yeah. really think we're going to smash every bit of this. Um, you know, uh, Ted, Ted uh, probably is wrong about some of that, you know. And so I think that it's it's really going to be those that adapt and overcome with this. So I, I don't think, you know, uh, you know, your child or grandchildren will be without technology or some of these things. I think it's far more important that, you know, the spiritual and, and social technology advances for them than necessarily the the digital technology. Yeah, no, I I completely agree and I um yeah, I think there are, there are two directions this takes. I mean, you can take a completely kind of um genetic population based approach and look at okay, who is who's more likely to reproduce and you know, it looks like a, a lot of a lot of our our brethren have opted out. Um, because mostly because of memes. I mean, people who had, you know, their grandparents had five or six children, their parents had two. Now they have a cactus named Fifi uh, on the windowsill and that's about it. And that's going to be it. So um, yeah, I think that's, that's in a way the spiritual war that someone like you is fighting, not to, you know, fluffy up too much, but it's like, it's, it's the fact that this is a war of memes. Like you can win people from that side uh, I know you can because I used to be on that side, and I, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't have crossed my mind to to have children because I thought, you know, you know, why why bring them into this world of misery? Uh, but then, you know, I kind of came to my senses, exposing myself to to different ideas. You know, your show wasn't on the air back then, but I had I don't know read some books, um, and it does work. And you know, you can still you can conquer people from from the from the enemy's religion. Slowly, probably not not you know extremely efficiently, but still it happens, and I think it's worth it because you know a lot of people say, oh, okay, yeah, you, these people just breed themselves out. These people are literally infected with with a disease, a mental problem that has been incepted into them by the fact that media apparatus, the media apparatus in general now, is extremely efficient to seeding these ideas. It's, you know, it's everywhere. It's since, since you're born, it's like from Disney movies to Netflix, it's all in there. They're always kind of just like telling you that, you know, the purpose of life is to um, self-create. Um, and the idea is that, you know, at one point you hopefully realize that that's not the case. And then, you know, the, all of this stuff that people like you are producing is there to kind of, you know, embrace them and say, okay, this, these, this is your alternative. And I think it's extremely valuable um, for that as well. I mean, you know, it's almost like every soul you save makes the whole journey worth it. 
<laughs> yeah, you're you're one of those dark elves that got converted that uh, Curtis is always on about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think um, it's a very weird thing because again, it's really important for people that certain parts of this be an extremely intellectual thing. And I think it's, again, like I'm not decrying any of that. I spend like a ton of time explaining political theory. So obviously I'm not like, don't read old books. That's terrible. But it's also, you know, people will think, okay, well, we don't need any kind of broad outreach. None of that's going to matter. And then, you know, you play a strain of a song from a McDonald's commercial and they automatically salivate. It's like, obviously, you know, this stuff works and it works even on the smartest people in the world. Why, why am I posting the same meme a thousand times? Because that's how people remember it. <laughs> it's really simple. It's not, it's not really complicated technology. It's the same reason that Coca-Cola keeps advertising to you, even though they're the most popular brand in the world and probably don't ever need to advertise to you again. And the cathedral understands this. Your, your ideological opponents understand this. And this is why it's always amazing when I see people talk about, you know, oh, you got to have the most popular ideas. Like, how popular was child transition two years ago? And now it's something that everyone on the left is defending like it's the very last hill. They're, they're literally marching into U.S. Uh, you know, state houses after kids have been shot by a transgenderist uh, school shooter and worshiping this ideology on the floor of these legislative bodies, a, an ideology they denied existed five years ago saying no no children ever get transition that never happens and now they're literally saying we can't ban it because it's 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 a genocide of some kind right like this is this is what the left is very good at and whether you like it or not you're gonna have to fight the mimetic war you're gonna have to con- you're gonna have to compete on this level and so you got to step up your game you got to be ready for this you have to be able to communicate this because like you said there there are not only, you know, for, for power's sake, but also these are individual people who are making these decisions. These are families. These are children. These are moms. These are dads. Like, the, there's a real human cost to leaving these people to the ideological ravages and, and uh, uh, propaganda of the state. Like, you just, you can't do it. Like, and so that means you have to have the game. And again, it needs to be intellectual on one level, but also needs you know you need to be able to do the propaganda. You got it. You got to be able to do it. You can you can you know sniff at it all you want, but the masses are going to consume something, and so you know it makes sense to make sure you have the ability to 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 shift opinion and shift understanding in that way. Yeah, I think that the intellectual level is is uh, is really important here, um, just because I guess that's where a lot of kind of status is tied in. And I think, you know, the status is, is, is the lever that I see is, is so important on the internet. And you can see this even in the shift of ideologies. Like a lot of them, you know, after a while just kind of get a bit of an ick. Like, you know, if, if you look at like the, the alt-right version one, um, it, it was low status. It's low brow. A lot of people involved in it. I mean, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, they're, they're kind of either like, like populist figures, people who kind of a little bit went a little bit unhinged because that's kind of what the internet does to you. You know, you, you kind of, you either moderate and go mainstream or you kind of have to really push it and, and then you go a little bit nuts. Um, you know, it's, it really became, you know, it, it had some cachet. I, I was interested in it myself for a while, but then something happened. It might've also been, you know, the fact that, you know, alt-right, it used to be, it used to mean something completely different. And then it was kind of essentially become, became like, you know, Richard Spencer's specific 
and uh, and it kind of got torn down by the liberal media because it kind of they got the scent for it and they started to do narrative warfare against it. Um, but it also like the, the the characters associated with it just they were low status. That's it. You know, no one who had any sort of intellectual interest or something wanted to be associated with these guys. Um, not to say that, you know, some, you know, weren't interesting. I mean, some, some of Richard Spencer's like earlier work, you know, his, uh, his first album, pretty good. His avant-garde. <laughs> exactly. Some of his, uh, you know, rad external articles, not going to name which ones, but you can look them up, um, were quite interesting and, and, and good. But yeah, you know, he just became, you know, people got the ick, the so-called ick. Um, and I think avoiding the ick and and building a, a, a cohort of, you know, open-minded, intellectual, honest people, because this is the side of reality. This is, you know, the core argument that we have is that, you know, this is the real stuff. And it's not just real because some paper said it. It's real because when you go out on the street, your lying eyes confirm it every day. So it's it's easy to, it's an easy sell for anyone who wants to be sold this. So I think, yeah, I think this is, you know, maintaining status is a very important um, thing. And I think that's kind of where the gatekeeping comes in, you know, because like I mentioned before, I think that's kind of what didn't happen in the Manosphere because it was like, you know, in the, in the days of like Hartiste and things like that, it was like probably one of the most interesting places that you can find even political conversations, you know, in the days of the forum. Then it got moved onto the internet. It was, you know, it was still interesting. Like a lot of the dissident right still kind of has a lot to do with that. Um, but now <laughs> this it's, it's kind of become a mainstream movement and it's got, um, you know, a lot of more, I don't know, more kind of meme, memeified, um, bullet pointified type things. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it feels like it's gotten the ick. I really do feel like that. It's, you know, the, the whole space is kind of, it feels a bit doomed at, at the moment. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of came in after the Manosphere was really a thing. And so, like, I'm, I'm familiar with some of the arguments, some of the players, um, but I, it's, not, it's not something that I've kind of been closely tied to. Honestly, I don't really hear much from it. Like, there are still guys... Uh, I don't know if you'd count like Kofi Annan or someone like that in, in that who are posting and, you know, do, doing intelligent uh, stuff. Um, you know, so I know some of the the guys still connected to that sphere are uh, are still, you know, putting out work that's that's garnering, you know, good attention and moving around Twitter and that kind of thing. But I don't I don't really know that I have an awareness of that as like a larger movement at this point anymore. You know, it's uh, you know, guys like Cernovich, I guess, would have been part of that but like he's an entirely different thing at this point his transformation has been something that was very different you've got guys like Stefan Molyneux I don't know if you would count them but now he's kind of you know he, he got the platform and exploded you know and so I don't really I don't really know what that is as a coherent movement anymore I mean many of its concerns are still concerns of the online right I think but but I don't I don't know I don't think of it as a distinct sphere as much as it used to be, but maybe I'm just not in touch with it as much as others. Yeah, I think there are, you know, kind of new players moved in, you know, with I think the the, the Andrew Tate wave just oh, brought sure. okay. brought a lot of uh of new faces to it. And yeah, I mean I think I'm I'm just probably <laughs> because it's so, you know, it's kind of reached its 
kind of apocalyptic exterminationist level, you know, both on the, um, on the kind of the, the, the male side and kind of the rad femme side on the other end. And it's, it's quite entertaining to watch maybe betraying the fact that I've been, I've been reading too many of these tweets, uh, you know, in my little ghetto of Twitter. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of reached a, an interesting point. And I think it's a, it's a good case study. Obviously, it's probably the most interesting thing that's going on on the internet in the sense that it, it, um, it relates to, you know, problems that inevitably, you know, 99.9% of the people, you know, watching this will have, um, you know, heartache, betrayal, um, you know, divorce statistics, all this type of stuff. It's, uh, it's, it's really engaging because, yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of interested in this. It's not just whatever Pareto said in like the 19, you know, 1890s or something like that. So, oh, come um, on, there's a love residue in there. You can, yeah, no. I'm sure, yeah, exactly, exactly. You can, you can theory sell anything out of Pareto. Um, yeah, so I think that's, that's probably mine, but yeah, no, no, no need to, you know, comment much more on that. Um, we can move to, um, to your project. I know you're writing a book, it is now serialized on your Substack. Um, it is called The Total State. And if you had like um, kind of a maybe elevator pitch for the total state, maybe uh, you could you could tell us kind of what what the core idea is. I mean, what is the total state? Sure. So, I mean, I, I think as a lot of us probably uh, discovered as we kind of moved through uh, the rabbit hole, uh, politics doesn't work the way that we were taught. None of the government structures, our understanding of democracy, liberalism, these kind of things, uh, they, they don't hold up under scrutiny. And when we observe kind of human behavior, but also the way our current regimes work, our Western liberal democracies work, they operate in a manner and hold power in a manner that is very different uh, than anything outlined in a constitution or anything you'd get from like an American civics class or anything like that. And so the total state is kind of me working through different thinkers who have spoken about uh, the different aspects of kind of uh, our, you know liberal democracies and pulling apart like how this thing assembled, why it doesn't work in the way it's described to us. Like, why does this democracy work more like an oligarchy? Why does, uh, you know, the, the constitution not restrict uh, the power of the government? Uh, you know, why are private institutions working hand in hand with government agencies in order to restrict things that we were told would be completely off limits to people in the marketplace. Uh, and, and kind of laying about kind of why that system all works together. I, I do have the rough draft chapters on the Substack, but it is also now set up with a publisher. So there'll be a, a full, complete uh, physical copy here as well coming soon. Excellent, excellent. I know I've uh, we've we've chatted about this. Uh, I also have a a very like rough <laughs> beginning of a book somewhere in in the wings, and uh, yeah, we've we've shared notes on this. But yeah, I think this is an extremely, um, you know, this is definitely the book you should be writing. It's it's uh, um, you know, reading reading some of the kind of the the, the rough chapters. It's um, yeah, it's it's essentially the best presentation of you know, core ideas from NRX and also kind of bringing in a lot of the elite theorists and, um, you know, it's, it's kind of expanding um, the, the seed from, from mold bug and into something that's um, much more, co- not necessarily coherent, because I think he's relatively coherent, though I know not everyone agrees, uh, but also um, it's accessible in the sense that 
you know, you really take your time to, to move through it and to, you know, you know, you, you could tell that you're someone who's worked in a, in a narrative field, you know how to, you know, to lay out an idea so that by the end of the chapter, by the end of the page, you, you get it, you really do get it. And you don't need like 7,000 priors. You don't need to have read all the 17 books that Moldbug references in, in every page of, of Unqualified Reservations. Uh, so I think this is, you know, this is a, a public service, I think, beside the fact that I'm, I'm sure it's going to do really well as a book. No, thanks. Uh, yeah, Curtis often speaks in parables, which is fun, but uh, but can be challenging for for many. And and there's also, you know, I think uh, while obviously his like his reading list it was very influential on me, his thought was very influential. Uh, there's also a lot that he didn't really include in some of his work. You know, Sam Francis did uh, an amazing amount of work uh, exp- explaining the modern state in Leviathan and its enemies. And it's like a 700-page book that never got a proper editing thing, so like no one read it. And so it's it, it's it's just amazing how much of this, again, is already known, was already laid out. There are already theorists, there are already people who have analyzed and understood a, many different pieces of this. And so it's just it, it's great to have an opportunity to basically just kind of weave these thinkers together in a way. That that kind of makes sense because they all you know none of these ideas are are necessarily new to me, um, but they're all things that I think are found in you know three chapters of one book and five chapters of another book and two chapters of one book, and unless you committed yourself to you know ten thousand pages of reading, you might not you know pull pull all those things together, and so I think there is a, a good opportunity to kind of bring that in into all one place and uh, lay it out in order. And so that's what I'm hoping to do. Yeah, you're, you're one of the few people who's actually read more than the, the Wikipedia entry and the SPLC <laughs> mention <laughs> for a lot of this stuff. So that's, yeah, that's definitely a competitive advantage because I know, I know I, I, I see you people. I know that you don't do the reading. You know, the, there's quite a lot of theory cells without the theory because, yeah, there's, there's so much, you know... Um, digested but uh yeah i think you're 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 doing the work there that would be interesting like turning splc entries into a uh reading list like uh, well if it shows who up doesn't? here then i should probably <laughs> that's where i who, source my guests yeah who doesn't get the <laughs> recommended reading or, or guest list off of, yeah no exactly. so we really well, appreciate I, you guys uh collating all this for us that's great yeah. If I, I sometimes I really do like scroll, and if I don't know someone, I'm like, oh, that's that's a new face. He hasn't been on, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a good resource, and I do appreciate the uh, the, the kind people at the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, putting <laughs> for in doing the, the Sparks notes for the <laughs> exactly putting in the work, just to maybe you know setting up my notes for me exactly um, because yeah, you know they definitely you know extract the spiciest stuff in those bios, so. Um, it's good. <laughs> um, you also um, speak uh, about patronage as well. I mean, uh, is I think there's there's definitely an, a difference um, in how patronage works currently in the total state between the right and the left. And you are kind of a, a beneficiary in a way of of patronage. You're now part part of the blaze, which is kind of you've kind of made it. Uh, you've got someone who's you know kind of has your back. A, a, a relatively it's, it's not a mainstream publication. It's pretty much a more um, it's not it's also, it's all these labels far right, whatever. It's not like a center right publication. It's one that's trying to be a bit more uh, dissident, and obviously that's why uh, they're interested in, in work like yours. Uh, but yeah, this is an established company. It's got funders. It's it's got you know it's it's set up to 
um, to represent. So kind of what, what um, has this move uh, taught you about patronage? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, shout out to the good old boys uh, and, and, and their patronage uh, education here. But uh, yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, I've, uh, the blaze just turned me loose. They said, here you go, make what you want, write what you want, have on who you want. I've never had anything other than, you know, uh, than, than the green light and okays for them for all this stuff. And so that's been really amazing. And that means I've gotten to, you know, write articles saying conservatism is dead and we got to do something else, you know, the mainstream conservative ob- audiences, uh, you know, and, and got to talk about, you know, patronage and talk about, uh, you know, just kind of everything that I think we've, we've, uh, many of us have explored here. And that's been an amazing opportunity. Uh, you know, I was trying to, you know, get all of my work and write a book and everything done in between having a real life job and, you know, family and everything. And just the, the fact that I can now make this my full-time thing has just been, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously been life-changing in a very real way. And so, uh, just being able to, uh, to explore all these ideas and commit myself fully to this has been a huge thing. And you really see how you probably wouldn't need to do all that much to, to really enable this for a lot of people, a lot of, you know, a lot of the best work being done on the right right now is being done by anons who are struggling to find a minute to write this stuff down or record it or produce it or edit it or whatever. And so it's just amazing, I think, the amount of creative energy that could be completely unleashed by a, a kind of a full, uh, proper understanding of patronage from uh, more right-leaning elites. And so, uh, you know, I've I've been an incredible beneficiary, uh, obviously, like, very lucky and blessed. And I only hope that this is, you know, opens gates for more people, that, that more people uh, are able to kind of step through this and have similar opportunities. I think there are, like, I think there are, these new media companies are looking for something different. And I think they see, uh, you know, a lot of uh, opportunity and energy and uh, new blood out there. And so, uh, you know, I do hope that that that's uh, just the beginning for, you know, I hope other people have that opportunity. Yeah, I'll, I'll take this as my cue to um, to advertise my availability as a, a, pat- <laughs> a patroni, any of, you know, <laughs> uh, billionaires, even multimillionaires who might be listening to the show or media conglomerates, you know, I'm my my email is in, on my website and please do contact me in case you have any sort of money that you'd like to throw in my direction. Um anyway, but yeah, I think it's I think that's a that's a really good point. And I I mean, I don't know. I know there's kind of a, a lot of um kind of cloak and dagger stuff going around about Peter Thiel funding a lot of podcasts. And I think, you know, I've, I've been talking to some of these podcast people and I don't think Peter Thiel funds that many. I know he doesn't fund mine. I know, you know I've denied this many times. I wish he did, but he doesn't. Um, but yeah, I think there's definitely a lot more space for for this, this type. But I do think like the um, anonymous rich funder is a type. And I think I have heard like it wasn't there like um the American Conservative the 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 Rod Dreher columns I think were funded by by one by one guy who really loved Rod Dreher for for a very long time, um and I think uh, yeah I think this is a it it has been a model in this space you know you kind of need an eccentric person to um you know to risk uh, putting their money to yeah maybe a bit more controversial people. So I hope I hope the the trend catches on and uh, more um, yeah more people of means 
um, <laughs> get a liking of, of the space. Uh, but yeah, I, um, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's kind of, you know, overblown a little bit, but also, yes, I think this is a mechanism by which a lot of, a lot of the, these guys get funded, but yeah, most of your anons are just people with a job. Yeah. You know, having talked to m- many of them, yeah, they just do their day jobs. Sometimes their day jobs are easy. That's why they tweet so much. But, <laughs> but yeah, they still have a day job. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's something that has to become more normal. I mean, you look at the the left and they just blow through billions of dollars funding stuff that is never going to turn them a profit and is never going to uh, immediately like become the next uh, big thing. But they understand the long game. Like they know that that patronage, they know that that, you know, buying of influence uh, in the short term, even if they can't, you know, put a thousand NASCAR patches on it or whatever for sponsorship, you know, even if it doesn't immediately, you know, show up on the balance sheet long term, they win the game because they have the cultural influence. They have the media power. They have the ability to kind of shift, uh, you know, public opinion with all of this. And the right really has to start getting into that mentality. Everything can't just be a check for like, you know, how much money you can, it can make you or, you know, how quickly it wins an election or something. You got to play the long game. You got to understand that, you know, uh, funding, you know, the, the left funds all kinds of crazy radical theories. Uh, we're living under the domination of them right now. Like no one thought that any of this like queer theory or trans stuff would have been a dominant archetype, you know, 30 or 40 years ago when the left was pumping money into it. And now it rules you. So like, you really have to you understand that those investments in the, you know, uh, long term pay off. And so I think that mentality just has to shift because like you said, there are so many anons that are just doing really great work without any kind of compensation and without, you know, just barely kind of, you know, uh, figuring out on the weekends and some of them, you know, go on to like, you know, found organizations or create their own YouTube channels and have success. And that's great. Like that, that's awesome. But there has to be a way, you know, for these people who don't immediately fall into marketability to still be able to kind of produce work because that really will pay dividends in the long run. And that's, that's a mentality shift that just has to happen. Yeah. I think you make a good point by, you know, the idea that people, you know, a lot of Republican or conservative donors shovel money to candidates who, even if they win, I mean, you know, people kind of have a feeling about, uh, about, you know, what we think on this side about elections and the validity of elections, yeah. the possibility of um, actually making change even after a, uh, an electoral victory. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much a money pit. You you have much you know I'll, I promise a hundred percent ROI if you if you make a, a significant contribution <laughs> in the long run. Obviously, we're going to measure ROI in about a hundred years when you know when the new regime is is actually you know, completely established. But um, definitely can can promise better ROI than than whatever um, you know, local candidate or uh, maybe local candidate you know that's just a better investment. But national candidate not a very good investment. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's an, an, a difference that uh, I think more people are starting to grasp, but I feel like, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, do God's work here and explain it uh, in more detail to, to potential investors. Yeah. It is wild to watch people still like kamikaze themselves into like this DeSantis Trump showdown. Like this is going to be the thing. Uh, 
you know, I'm constantly told that we don't need to worry about, you know, like NRX or Curtis Yarvin. We've learned all the things we need to learn from from that. And there, there's no reason to talk about it anymore. There's no time to spend any more time on it. And then people just like completely like turn themselves into Bill Mitchell when it comes to an election season. And it's like, so you learn nothing. You, you've grasped none of this. You still don't, you know, still don't get any any part of this. Exactly. And so, yeah, I, I think it's it's got to be something that people... Uh, you have to adjust. Like like you said, the local candidate is a much better investment. At least they, you know, have a chance of directly keeping some kind of trash out of your kid's school or whatever. Um, you know, and, and so it's just, it's wild that people still think like, like, like I like Ron DeSantis. Yeah. I, I live in Florida. I, I, I benefit from the, the rule of, of King DeSantis. Uh, and, and, you know, but I always say, you know, I don't think he should have ran. I think Trump should, should be the candidate. Uh, even though I think Ron DeSantis is probably more capable capable in governance, because I don't think capable of in governance is what matters here. Like I don't think the I don't think electing the best administrator is going to be no. the thing that changes things here. And so it, it's just wild to me that people still buy into that. Yeah, well, Ron DeSantis, people are in power there. I mean, that's the fact. He literally has you know layers upon layers of his own people there. That's why the whole thing works. You know, yes. it's not like if you take him from there. It's like, you know, almost like magic dirt, you know, theory. It's like, you know, pop one there, you know, it's a thing, magic happens. No, you need the whole substructure to be aligned with you. And in Florida, it is in large part aligned with him. I mean, people really do look up to Ron DeSantis. They see the results. They are, you know, ideologically aligned with him. Not everyone, obviously, but he has actual victories over the people who are not aligned with him. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's got patronage networks within the state. I mean, all of that stuff is not replicable at the national stage. You just can't, it does not scale. So, you know, and that's kind of why, you know, I like Ron DeSantis too. I think he's probably more capable than, than Donald Trump, but just given the constraints of the office and what exactly would happen if he, if he became president, uh, if he didn't act like uh, like like a Caesar figure and literally gut the whole apparatus, and he doesn't have he doesn't have that, he, it's impossible. Plus, who would he you know he would would he have to take the whole uh, administration of Florida and take it to the national stage? You know, just populate the whole government with his people. Ain't no, it, there's not enough people. <laughs> Plus, I would feel very badly for the people in your state because you seem to be doing so well. So, yeah, it's um, it doesn't. Seem to me, and also the Ron DeSantis versus Trump fights on 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 Twitter. Please stop, people. Oh yeah, you know, it's you know, so we're horrible. talking about the ick. It's it's just it is beyond low status. Just you know, who's fighting whom? I mean, some of some of you guys are my friends, but please, please step away from the keyboard. This is this is beneath you. So yeah, it's um it's very lame. That's kind of what I wanted to say. Yeah, it's I don't understand how people don't get that at this point. Like, here's where we are in the cycle. Politicians are weapons you aim at the cathedral. Like, they're rocks that you throw at the windows. <laughs> like, that's, that, that's, that, and, and who's the best rock? Donald Trump. <laughs> Let's just be honest. I don't think Donald Trump's going to be a good, uh, the best governor. I don't think he's going to have the best staff. I don't think he's going to have the best advisors. And I know that because I watched his last, you know, presidency, though it's still much better than obviously, you know, Joe Biden or anything. But yeah, I mean, I understand he's not going to be uh, very good at this stuff. But I don't think that, uh, you know, again, as capable as DeSantis is in his environment, I think your point is a really good one. Like he he has what has given him the ability he's had right now is the way in which he's been able to build a, a power base outside of D.C., outside of this system. 
and trying to pick that up and then just drop it into DC, it's it's insufficient. You need to spend another, you know, 10 years with 10 Ron DeSantis's across the nation, building up the kind of counter elite that allows you to, you know, come yeah. in and completely gut, you know, the, the federal bureaucracy. That's when you know you're ready to win this thing. You're just not there yet. And so, yeah, going going on Twitter and just, again, Bill Mitchelling yourself in front of everybody is just, I don't know why you would spend your time that way. It just, it seems foolish. Yeah, it's just, I feel like a Ron DeSantis presidency would be a terrible waste of a good governor for Florida. That would be it. It, just, it, would, just, it would just gut the governorship in Florida and whoever comes next is probably going to be worse. Um, and they probably will, you know, try to enact revenge for for all the slights against the cathedral. So, yeah, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that on my my worst enemy. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we're slowly coming up on time. But I want to ask you the question of the show again. And I know you're an avid reader, and I'm sure you you can rummage uh, to to find a subversive thinker that you think people should uh, should check out or maybe be uh, be a bit more attentive to. Yeah, I knew this question was coming and I did not properly prepare yet again. Don't worry. So foolish. <laughs> I never, um, I never do. <laughs> so I've people been, ask me this too. <laughs> I've been working uh, on a series on Alexander Dugan. Um, and I've been working with Michael Millerman on that. People can, can watch us as we break down the fourth political theory. Uh, Dugan's interesting because he uh, does not have a ton of new ideas per se. But he has a very good synthesis and puts together in a good order many of the critiques of uh, kind of the Western liberal uh, system, the democratic system. Um, and so he, he has, I think, a, a good grasp on that and a good critique of that. You, if you're going to read Dugan, you obviously need to understand he is a, you know, an actor with a very specific political agenda. He is an actor who has a very specific political, you know, geopolitical outcome. He does directly call for the destruction of America and the West. And so, you know, just go into him understanding that he has a very specific uh, bias and objective. But I think if you do, the fourth political theory has some pretty interesting things and puts, again, you could get the ideas from other authors, but he does a good idea of synthesizing them. And I think he's worth reading, though it's becoming increasingly difficult because he can't buy many of his books. Uh, they've they've been removed from Amazon and such, uh, so uh, it could be a little more difficult than it used to be. But I think he's worth reading at this point. Yeah, I think so, especially because this is probably the only contemporary uh, attempt at any sort of kind of maybe not anti-liberalism, but a kind of a counter. Um, position or or synthesis of of different viewpoints um, from different strains of of political theory and uh, yeah he's the only person in the arena trying to do this in a in a way that is actually politically salient like he is a face lord he is you know he's he has the ear of of you know uh, the one of the, the the great statesmen of our of our time like he's really uh, putting himself out there in tragic ways, unfortunately, as well. Um, obviously, independent of what you think of, of the of the person, I mean, his he's had some some terrible personal tragedies with a daughter dying in a, in a bomb car bomb. It's just a you know, you know, he's really got skin in the game. Like I said, independent of what you think of of his book, and I think it's it's worth it. Um, and also, yeah, in general, Michael Millerman's work as well. I think he's uh, he's also one of the few people who uh, present. Um, 
illiberal or anti-liberal thinking from, you know, ages ago, from the antiquity up to Alexander Dugan. So I think he's definitely worth checking out. He's got Millerman School as well. Um, and also, obviously, all of your work, um, which I uh, very warmly recommend to people. Uh, the Substack is called The Total State, uh, where you'll find the, the serialized chapters of the book. And also, of course, the Aaron McIntyre show on The Blaze and various articles that are on, on The Blaze as well. And um, is there any other thing that you'd like people to check out? Uh, I guess just the podcast, you know, the everything that used to go on the YouTube channel still goes there, but it also is uh, in audio form on the podcast and that's on everything, Apple, Spotify and all that stuff. So if people want to, you know, uh, listen while they're mowing the lawn or, you know, vacuuming or organizing the books or whatever, hitting the gym, then you have that option as well. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's usually how I listen to your episodes. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely good. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on again, Aaron. This has been a pleasure as always. No, absolutely. Thank you. If you'd like to support my work and access more content, please consider subscribing through Substack, Patreon, or PayPal. See you next week.